Well, good morning. I ran into the grocery store this past week, one day when I was hungry. Mistake. Have you ever done that before? I was hungry. Everywhere I looked, I was tempted to buy things I really didn't need. Uh, And worse yet, I was buying a whole grocery list of things. It was the plan. And it was in the food court area. You know, I'm I'm walking through the food court area, and the uh, rotisserie chickens smelled heavenly as I stood near the Mongolian grill that was sizzling. It just, my senses were heightened as I stood there everywhere I looked. Uh, the fruits and vegetables seemed particularly colorful and appetizing as I stood there near them. I, I knew I was in trouble when even the uncooked rice that was still in a bag <laughs> began to look appetizing to me. And so that was the point when I decided I better get while the getting was good. And uh, so I quickly grabbed my four quarts of ice cream (laughs) and the tray of cinnamon rolls and uh, a few eggs and milk, a few other things, but uh, fled the store. You know, temptation can come in a lot of forms, can it? It first showed up as an appetite for forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. That was where it first appeared. And ever since then, it pretty much shows up on a daily basis in every one of our lives. It shows up as temptation toward greed or selfishness or judgmentalism or, or some other thing. And if we're going to become good, like God is good, which of course is his dream for us. I mean, we were made for that. That was what we were created to be. In the beginning, we were created by God to be good, right? If we're ever going to become like that. First of all, we need Jesus' involvement in our lives. But beyond that, I mean, you and I have got to learn how to overcome temptation because just knowing Jesus doesn't automatically remove all temptation, right? Right? It takes a little more than that. Every one of us can benefit from knowing what the biblical teachings are about the keys to overcoming temptation. And so this morning, we're going to look at those keys as they show up in the life of a young man named Joseph. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you this morning to open it to Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to be talking about the life of Joseph. We talked about him last week. We're going to be talking about him today and a couple of weeks in the future. Joseph, this is Joseph, not the adoptive father of Jesus, which many of us think of Mary and Joseph, right? That's not that Joseph. We're talking about Joseph, the son of Jacob, the great-grandson of Abraham, Uh, An amazing individual. If you've not read his story, if you're sort of unfamiliar with him, I encourage you to start. Go back and read Genesis 37. Skip 38. You can read that another time because it's a whole different sort of takes on a different tangent. But 39 through the end of the book of Genesis. And I tell you, if you don't know his story, you will be you will be hooked. It's absolutely stunning. The, the way that God works in his life and the circumstances that take place. But uh, we're going to look this morning at Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to start there. And uh, if you've got your Bible there in the shelf in front of you, open it up. Or if you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen beside me. I want us to read a few verses here. And I just want to say this. Occasionally, somebody say, why do you read all of that? Here's why. There's a lot of us that don't read the Bible. Know that? I want you to see it in the pages of Scripture. So we're going to look at this. I just want you to see how compelling the biblical account of this individual's life is. My hope is, my my secret hope, i just give it away, is you'll read this and you'll go, I wonder about the rest of the story. And you'll read chapter 40 and 41 and 42 and all the way to 50. I, I want you to read the whole story, okay? 
So I'm bribing you. Read, read the rest of the story. Let's start at verse 39, chapter 39, verse 1 here. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. You remember he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember that? Chapter 37. So he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. In fact, it goes on and describes his rank. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Pause. Is this guy an important dude? If you are the captain of the security detail, the guard, for the king of the superpower of that time, you are a big deal. So he's, he's a slave for Potiphar. The passage goes on and says, verse 2, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Let me pause. Did he succeed because he was brilliant? No. Did he succeed because, because he had unique training? No. Why did he succeed? The Lord was with him. The Lord is with him. And what we find is he succeeds because God is with him. And look at verse 3. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. I, this isn't even in uh, my, the, the point of what I'm trying to say today, but I just want you to know sometimes you are going to succeed in your sphere of expertise, not because you're so brilliant, not because you're, of your training, but because God wants you to succeed for the benefit of somebody in your sphere of influence. Don't get the big head and think it's you. Utilize that blessing to advance the purposes of God in your sphere of relationships. You with me? If we had time, we'd camp on that all day. But this is a big deal. Potiphar noticed, verse 3, this, and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, duh, pleased him. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. This was Potiphar's dream. I mean, he was living the dream here is what he's doing. And it's all because, not because Potiphar's all that, it's because Joseph is being blessed by God that Potiphar's attention might be gathered here. Passage goes on and says, if, if, if you read on, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. You see the story turning. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He, he's held no, back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work and she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. 
when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants and soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but, but he left his cloak behind with me. And she held it up for everybody to see. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. And then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So, she took Joseph, so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. We're going to stop reading at that point. I encourage you to read the rest of it later. But unfortunately for Joseph, doing the right thing here complicated his life. See, some of us are tempted by the fact, we're, we're tempted to stay in temptation, to stay in sin, because the fact is, if getting out is going to complicate our life. Joseph, in this instance, recognized that, it was, that avoiding the sin was, was going to complicate his life, but it was only going to be for the short term. I mean, that was his worldview. That was the way he thought. And if you read the rest of the story, the fact is, in the long term, this decision paved the way for God to bless Joseph further. We'll talk more about that in future weeks. But my encouragement to you is this. As I, as I talk with you this morning, as we think together about this passage and we try to learn the keys to overcoming temptation from Joseph, the first one that wasn't in my notes until this morning... This is like gravy, okay? This is extra. One of the keys to overcoming temptation is having a long-term view. It's counting the long-term cost, not just the short-term cost. Some of us are in business situations. We're in relational situations. And the short-term cost of changing course is so painful to us that we quickly dismiss The will of God, even though it's clear to us what His will is, we dismiss it because we don't want to deal with the short-term pain of that. Um, If we're going to become good like God is good, we got to take a long-term view of this. And understand that sin and temptation may be sweet for a season, but in the long term, it bites It will ruin your life. It will rob you of future opportunities that right now you may not see, but God does. And by faith, you can if you trust, in fact, that God is as good as he truly is. Every one of us can benefit from learning the keys to overcoming temptation from Joseph. And really, the first one that he he learned was just to do the right thing even if it led to pain and difficulty. Now, for what I had in my notes, okay? Had three other keys to overcoming temptation. And the first key to overcoming temptation, really, that I had originally in my notes is this. If you and I are going to overcome it, we learn from Joseph to consider the consequences. And this is related to that. We learn learn to consider the consequences of remaining in this state of temptation and where it may lead us. Look at verse 7 and verse 8 with with me there in the text, chapter 39. The passage 
highlights for us that Potiphar's wife soon began to look at Joseph lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. I mean, she's a desperate housewife here. That's what we got going on. Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my, my, my master trusts me with everything in his household, his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It'd be a great sin against God. You see what Joseph is doing here? Do you follow his thought processes? He's here speaking to her here. Basically what he's doing is he's, he's imagining the ripple effect. He has thought about this. And he thinks to himself, the ripple effect, the consequence of this is going to be really bad. Potiphar, my master, is going to be hurt if I do this. He's the captain of the king's guard. This is going to have consequences in his life. It's going to have consequences in my influence and authority. Look at the authority that my master has given me. This is going to compromise that. It's going to put it at risk. That's not a good thing. And then he kind of concludes by saying, this would be a great sin against God. If any of that was not sufficient to persuade him, he thinks to himself, I'm not just sinning against people, I'm sinning against God. He's counting the cost. Joseph knew sin always has consequences. How often does it have consequences? Always, always, always. It always has consequences. We just don't know what they will be sometimes. And when we've chosen the path of sin, we have now forfeited the right to choose the consequences. We've abdicated control. That in and of itself ought to motivate some of us because some of us are control freaks. I mean, we are so afraid of everything under the sun, but, but we're just not afraid of the consequences of temptation and sin. The very thing that will rob us of control. Often we're, we're sort of like a, a large-mouthed bass. I just kept thinking, this picture just kept coming to my mouth. Yeah, some, of you, some of you see this right here. You see, you see what I got here? This is a big rebel lure. It looks sort of like a, a small frog just before he becomes a big frog. And, and you know, we're like the large-mouthed bass, and we just see this, like, Trolling through the water. And I always want to say to the big mouth bass, Don't you see the treble hooks? Don't you? I mean, look at them. Look at them. I don't know if you can get this accurately with the camera. Look at the treble hooks. They call them treble because there are three on each one. Okay? It's, it's like... But we're like the bass sometimes. I mean, this is called temptation. They call these a lure, by the way, on purpose. They lure, they tempt, they tempt the bass because it looks appetizing. It's shiny. It's got big eyes. Big eyes. I mean, if you're a bass, you look at that and go, wow, I'm walking through Price Chopper. But they think of this, I'm in the food court and I'm hungry. That's, that's what goes through the bass's mind, right? If you and I never learn to count the cost, to stop and look at the hooks, if we never learn to do that, we'll never overcome temptation. We'll never overcome temptation. We are a generation 
where we are driven by our impulses and desires. And we protest on the basis of desires. We buy things on the basis of desires. We, we, we manage our relationships on the basis of however I feel today. And the call of God to every one of us is if we're going to overcome evil and temptation in our lives, we've got, to, we've got to move beyond my feelings and we've got to count the cost. We've got to consider the consequences. There's a second key to overcoming temptation, though, and that is sometimes you just got to work to avoid it. Avoid temptation to the extent possible. Look at what Joseph did in verse 10. I think this is insightful. I've read this many times. It just jumped at me as I was working on this here these last weeks. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day because that's what temptation does. That's what sin does. But she refused to, but he refused to sleep with her. And notice what it says. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. It's a saying. He avoided her. You know, he, he arranged his schedule in such a way as to not be at the house when she was at the house. He, he did his work when there were more people around than just her. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like he, he avoided temptation to the extent he could. Here we see the principle that part of overcoming temptation is avoiding it. It's not flirting with it. It's the principle that would say, if you're an alcoholic, don't hang out at bars. It's that principle. If you're tempted to take what doesn't belong to you, don't manage someone else's money. Don't manage their property. It's that principle. It's the principle that says that if you're tempted to lie easily, don't become a journalist or a politician. That's a joke. That's a joke. Sorry. Sorry. If you're a politician or a journalist. The point of Scripture is you and I, if we're going to overcome temptation, have to respect the slippery slope that it is and avoid it. Some of us struggle because we don't respect it. We think I'm stronger. I was reading a study this past week of a uh, of a guy who's done a lot of research on college campuses where college students, you know, they're <clears throat> tempted to drink too much, tempted to, you know, stay up late and not study and research, skip classes, uh, smoke, various other things. They've done all this research on these studies. And basically what he identified is that, that, that we have this, this problem with willpower that they as students and let me just say we as adults who are all grown-up kids, you know, we have this tendency to overestimate our capacity to withstand temptation until we're in the heat of the moment when it's too late. Couples do this when they date. The wise person, if you and I are going to follow God, if we're going to authentically say, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to become good like God is good, and it's a decision of my will, it will not come naturally to me, and it won't be easy, but I'm going to try to become good because God is good and because Jesus died so I could become good. Okay, And because, guess what? In heaven, there will only be goodness. 
So like there's all this stuff in my life that I think right now is maybe fun, but it's evil. Guess what? None of that will be in heaven. Get over it. Accept it. Die to it. And now what I have to do, if I'm going to authentically become good, where my desires change and my whole worldview changes, I have to learn to avoid the situations as best I can to the extent that's possible without being neurotic. I have to avoid temptation. It's just the right thing to do. It's the second key to overcoming temptation. But sadly, we see in Joseph's experience that even the most diligent and vigilant among us won't always be able to avoid temptation. Right? Day of reckoning always comes. By avoiding it, you're just allowing God to strengthen your spirit, to to empower you over time to develop a capacity to do the right thing, even when it maybe feels a bit overwhelming. This brings us to the third key to overcoming temptation that we see in Joseph's life. And there comes a time when a wise person just flees. You run. Look at Joseph, what he did. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 12. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. He'd avoided her as long as he could. Now, here she comes. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. You, you get the picture? It wasn't like he said, oh, here, let me, let me take this off and leave it with you. Understand what's going on. She's basically ripping it off his body because he's fighting away. I mean, he just recognized, I I can't do this. And so he flees, and she's left holding his coat. Here's what I want you to see. Joseph didn't negotiate. He didn't argue in that moment. He didn't flirt with the moment saying, I kind of like the buzz of this moment. I'm going to stay just a few more seconds longer, and then I'll flee. He tore himself away, and he fled, was what he did. Which, interestingly enough, is exactly what the Bible says to do in several places. Let me share a couple with you, because these are, these are some of these. Some in our culture who, particularly in the subject of sexuality, we want, nobody wants to be prude. You know what I'm saying? Nobody does. And so, consequently, we like orient our whole relational world around the approval of everybody else around us. And the consequence of that is we end up in temptation and sin. When in fact, what Scripture says, if we would listen to what God is saying, if we would respect the power of temptation and, and, and just honor His life, we'd do stuff like this. 2 Timothy chapter 2.22 says this, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. What should we do with things that stimulate youthful lusts? What's the passage saying? Run. Doesn't say negotiate, argue, doesn't say enjoy the buzz. Run. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. First Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen and following says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
who lives in you and was given to you by God, the passage says. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I mean, these are just a few of passages that flat out say, run, run. They're trying to help us understand that if you and I are going to ever overcome temptation in our lives, as Joseph did in his, we need to follow in his footsteps. And sometimes that literally means run, run. Tear yourself away and run. Run now, think later. That's what it's saying. Is there any area of temptation in your life? Maybe it's sexual, maybe it's something else. I don't know. Because this applies not just to this whole subject of sexuality, because there are a lot of situations where you and I probably ought to just run. Is there some area of your life? As we're kind of going through this, the Holy Spirit is just bringing it to your mind, and he's just saying, run. Don't spend any more time debating about it. Don't argue about it. You don't have to pray about it. Pray, oh, God, should I, should I sleep with her? Is it your will? Yeah, Joseph isn't praying to God if this is his will. Okay? He's not doing that. He already... Anyway. I hear this in our day. It makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. What part of thou shalt not commit adultery do we not understand? What part? Is it the thou? <laughs> do we not get that? Or not? You know? Do we need definitions of adultery? Do we need charts, you know, to diagram? This is bad. Thou shalt not. We don't have to do that, friends. But we might have to flee. Might have to run. Maybe for some of us, what we do need to do is we just need to take some practical steps to avoid some area of temptation in our life today. You can feel the temperature, the thermostat rising in that area of temptation, but right now, it's, you don't have to flat out run. Right, what you need to do right now is you just need to stop flirting with it. If some of us who are in job situations where it's really complicated and you do well to talk to somebody about it and try to avoid certain things. And the day may come where God says, tear yourself away from this place and flee. But the truth is, that's not this day. And so what you need to do is just, God, how do I, how do I avoid this? And seek him and the counsel of others for wisdom on that. Maybe some of us, we've got stuff going on, and the truth is we just, you know, we've just been blindly going along, and this morning the wake-up call is taking place, and God's saying to you, hey, would you just step back a bit, remove yourself from it, and think about the cost, count the consequences. What are you chasing? Notice the treble hooks. They don't feel good when they bite into you. And he's just saying, think about this. Think about the long-term cost of this. And will you decide to do the right thing even if the short-term cost is painful? 
Will you do it even if it lands you in some prison? Because you know that I'm the God who's capable of rescuing those who are enslaved in Egypt. Temptation can be overcome. But it's never overcome passively. There's always an active ingredient, and it's you and me partnering with God to overcome. So will you partner with him? I want to close this morning with a quote. Century ago, an author by the name of Lyman Abbott summarized life this way, and I kind of liked it, and then I spotted this picture, and it fits. Every life is a march from innocence through temptation to virtue or vice. Every life, that's every, every one of us, every one of our children or grandchildren, us included, every life is a march from innocence through temptation to virtue or vice. You were made to be a man, a woman of virtue. Will you choose it? Let's turn towards God, turn towards virtue. And maybe this morning the truth is you've been trying to do it on your own and you need the help of Jesus in your life. He's the only one who lived a sinless life. Did you hear what I said? A, a life without sin. He teed the ball up to his critics and said, if any one of you can, can, can prove me guilty of sin, you know, do it. And they stood speechless because they were shocked they even asked the question because the fact is his life was so pristine they couldn't come up with anything. I mean, it was a sinless. Maybe you need the help of someone who was sinless, God in flesh, who was without sin within you, giving you strength to overcome temptation and sin. And, and, and this morning, you just need to cry out to Him for help. Help me. Maybe some of us this morning need to talk about some area that we've been flirting with or trapped in or whatever and have somebody pray for us for help and be a little bit of moral support for us. Maybe you need to dedicate yourself, body, soul, and spirit to Jesus, to God. We're going to have some baptisms in a little bit, which is what that's a picture of. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to do that. Humbling yourself before God and saying, here I am. I want to dedicate my body, my soul, to you, Lord Jesus, which is the picture of baptism. You go under the water. You're dying to yourself. You come up out of the water, just like he came out of the grave, triumphant over death. You come out of the water, triumphant over the sin by faith that has been a part of your life. Empowered by him is the picture. His, not yours. You've been bought with a price, a high price, 1 Corinthians says. That's the picture there. Maybe that's something you need to do. Whatever you need to do, will you do it? Let's stand together. Let's pray. And as we pray, we'll uh, dedicate ourselves to walking a life, living out a path of virtue. All right? And we'll be dismissed.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness toward us. While we are yet sinners, you died for us, Lord Jesus. And you are calling us to leave behind our ways for yours. You're calling us to choose a path of virtue, righteousness, goodness. A path that you, Lord Jesus, walk. A path that your servant Joseph walked. A path that many throughout Scripture walk. A path you long for us to walk. We were made to walk it. Help us to choose it. Would you fill us, cleansing us from the toxin of sin and temptation within our lives? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and the power to walk transformed lives? We want your blessing in our lives and others around us to be blessed. That's what we want. Help us to demonstrate it by the choices we make. So, Father, we just conclude by asking you, would you lead us not into temptation, but would you deliver us from evil and the evil one? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, and that's how we want it to be, yours forever. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.